Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, where we speak, we grow, we rise. I'm your host, Sarah Menares. The We Podcast is a part of the We Spot, where we are passionate about creating community and providing a space for speaking authentic truth, growing together and rising above challenges and into the full power of all we were created to be. You're listening to episode number 42, When Things Don't Go As Planned. In this episode, I interview Carissa Coughlin. Carissa is the mother of three beautiful children, seven and younger. She stays at home full-time and homeschools their oldest son. She loves drinking coffee, crafting, and organizing her home. She grew up in the Bay Area of California and will always feel most at peace standing on the beach hearing the waves crash onto the shore. She has a podcast called Creating Coglins, where her and her family are striving to live a more intentional life filled with more understanding and grace. In this episode, Carissa walks us through the premature birth of her daughter at 23 weeks. She is transparent and candid with what this experience was like for her. I love that she's not afraid to talk about the hard stuff. I was enthralled in her story from beginning to end. So thank you, Carissa, for sharing your heart and your truth with us. We are better for it. I can't wait for y'all to hear this episode. All right, here we go. Here is my interview with Carissa. Welcome to this episode of the WE Podcast. It's very exciting because today I have Carissa Coglin here with me and we are going to have a great chat about a lot of different things. I know we met on social media, mm-hmm. I think, right? Yep, on social media. Yeah, yeah, Facebook. Through friends, mutual friends. Yeah, yay for Facebook. <laughs> I love it. And I remember I saw your story somewhere. Maybe it was a post you did. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was a post. I, I remember it now. Um, and I was like, holy moly, this is like an amazing story. And so I'm really excited to dive in. This is actually something that I haven't ever had a guest talk about before and so listeners I promise you're going to want to stay tuned and hear Carissa's story so thank you for being here thank you for having me Sarah yeah yay (laughs) so you have your own podcast yes ma'am creating coglins Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. creating coglins yep it's awesome Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you talk about on there what's your kind of your message on yours sure so creating coglins is really a space for us to share about our life as the coglin family um, which entails our children our decision to homeschool them just kind of different financial decisions that we've made and um, also in creating coglins i feel like there's a personal aspect where i'm really coming into this idea of being myself and so that was kind of the basis behind creating Coglins was we were really bringing forth this trueness of who we actually are. Hmm. Yeah. I love it. So we really strive to um, be intentional with our actions and our decisions in our family um, while also um, extending grace and understanding because I think that 
all of that is really key. You can't kind of have just one of those aspects. You kind of have to have them all because everyone's story is so different Mm. that when we're sharing our story, we want to be bold in sharing what we're doing. But we also want to understand that every family works a little bit differently and that everyone's at a different place. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's such an important thing to recognize. Yeah. Because... If we can't recognize it, it it keeps us a lot of times from speaking our truth and and walking in in our own story and and what is true for us. I know we were talking a little bit about that before we started recording and and kind of trying to please everybody with your message and how impossible that is. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like that's really where my heart comes from is this idea that I want to be able to share where we are without um, kind of making people feel badly for where they are and just allowing people to be honest and have true relationship and not just me standing on the soapbox talking about all these things, Mm. but really a connection and a relationship with people. So that's really what we're striving for. Yeah. Because you talk about hard things too, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yep. Which I think is awesome. Thank you. I like the hard thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's real life, right? Right. I mean, we can pretend Mm -hmm. all we want that there's not hard things in the world, but Mm -hmm. there really are. And um, there's really devastating things. And I think a big part of, as I've grown and look back to my life I feel like we will all experience really challenging things and the people around us will experience challenging things and learning to grieve well with people and not just try to make it better or sweep it under the rug is Mm. so incredibly important Mm -hmm. yes amen sister (laughs) I love that for sure so good see why I have you here No, I knew like I I think it was maybe a mutual knowing like we fit together. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) When you said maybe you should come on, I was like, yes, that would be wonderful. (laughs) Yes, I love it. All right. So let's start out with hearing your story. I'd love to know kind of where it all began. Where are you from? What was your early, early story like? Sure. So I grew up in San Jose, California. Um, which is the west coast of California, and um, grew up with my family. My family had lived there for quite a while, so I have a lot of extended family there, Um, especially on my dad's side. We're very close, and so, yeah, we just spent a lot of time together. Um, And then when I was 16 years old, my family decided to move to Colorado, and so that would just be my immediate family, my mom, my dad, and me and my two sisters. So we packed up and we moved to Colorado and um, bought a house here and have been here ever since. So Mm. yeah, um, I definitely miss California. I love it. Um, But I'm happy to be in Colorado. It's a good place and I have a lot of family. So I visit often to California, which is really nice. (laughs) That is nice. (laughs) How old were you? I was 16. 16. Man, that's a hard age to move like leave your friends and right Mm -hmm. and it was it was uh it was challenging I think I was excited I was excited for the prospect of something new and different and quite honestly I was always pretty realistic and I saw the housing market in San Jose specifically um and the area that I lived in in California and it was just not sustainable for um what my dreams were which were sort of very little formed at that point Mm -hmm. but I kind of knew that I didn't want to work my whole life for um, 
just what you could get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of coming to a place where it wasn't as expensive was exciting to me. And we also had some family out here that we hadn't known that well throughout our lives. And so mm. we were excited to get to know them. And mm-hmm. that's been really cool. So we didn't just come here without a base of anything and um, just kind of grew our friends and family from there. So nice. Yeah. Awesome. So you were more of a logical teenager than I it was sounds like. Very logical. I am the <laughs> oldest child. And I was going to ask yes, where you are in the birth order. I am the <laughs> oldest child. I am the caretaker. Um, yep, that is definitely my my personality fits right in line with that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. I do think there is something to be said about birth order. Mm-hmm. For sure. I I think so. I mean, it's pretty incredible. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you came to Colorado, <laughs> you got settled here, <laughs> and then what? Yeah. So then um, I made a friend um, and we started hanging out all the time. And then I think it was the middle of my senior year. He said, oh, one of my buddies that moved away a few years ago is coming back to visit. Let's hang out with him. So I hung out with him. Little did I know that is my husband. (laughs) At the time, I was like, oh, I don't know about like hanging out with someone new. I am pretty shy and introverted. So it was kind of a stretch for me to hang out with someone new. Uh My friend reassured me, no, he's a great guy. Um, So anyway, yeah, uh, at that point, Adam is his name. And I met him that day. He went back to where he was living, which was Minnesota at the time with his family and kind of came back and visited every once in a while. And then after we graduated high school, he moved back here because he grew up here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. They had just moved to Minnesota for a few years. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just stayed friends. And then eventually we started dating. And um, I believe I was 19 when we started dating. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so we started dating. And it got pretty serious, so we lived together. Um, And then when I was 21, we got pregnant with my son, Liam. And then when I was 22, we got married. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. So you you got pregnant with your son when you were 21. Yes, ma'am. And I had my daughter when I was 20. Okay. I feel like I was young. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. You're probably much more, well, you are obviously much more mature than I was at 21. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think it was technically I was uh, only like three months away from turning 22. So I wasn't like just turned 21. And then, yeah, he was, so my, I turned 22. I'm sorry. Yeah, I had him when I was 22. Sorry. Yes. And then, so I turned 22 in August, had him in December. And then, actually, we didn't get married until the following year. So then I would have been 23. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm, so anyway, mm-hmm. um, I didn't feel young at the time. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, now, looking back, I feel like, yeah, that was pretty young. And now, also, um, most of my girlfriends, I have, um, most of my girlfriends I've been friends with for, you know, over 10 years. Like, I get make really intense, close relationships, and then I usually keep them. Mm-hmm. And so now I remember thinking back then, like, oh, none of my friends are pregnant. And it didn't seem weird to me. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, because it's not really a normal time to get pregnant. <laughs> but I guess I didn't think so at the time. Yeah. Um, it's fairly normal in my family. Most of my family members have gotten pregnant fairly young. And so it didn't seem abnormal in my family that mm-hmm. I was pregnant. I was actually on the older end of the scale for pregnancy mm-hmm. in my family, my extended mm-hmm. family. So... Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, so I 
we got pregnant and then we thought, well, this, we should get married. So we got married. And then uh, right after we got married, we had been going to church and we thought, well, we should really buy a house. We had purchased a trailer at that point in Fort Collins. And so we thought we should sell that and we should buy a house. And so we sold that. We went and lived with family for six months to save up some money for a down payment. Then we bought this adorable little house in downtown Loveland and it needed to be fixed up. And it was like just the perfect little, we're going to be a family of four and have this cute little house that, Mm -hmm. well, we were a family of three. We have this cute little house. We should be a family of four. Mm, So mm -hmm. we're married now. We should, we have a house. We own a, you know, actual house, the foundation now. Yeah. (laughs) We should have a baby. And so then we started trying and quickly got pregnant with our second baby. Um because that was the right thing to do, right? Mm, right. With all these norms. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. We had the yep. white picket fence. Mm-hmm. We had the oldest son. Now it was time to fill in with a second baby. And then everything went to plan. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, podcast over. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so I mean, that was as logical as I was. I think that really was where my heart was. It was yeah. that, okay. Uh, you know, bad things had happened. It had been hard in my life before, but now I'm on the right track. And so everything should go smoothly from now. So yeah, we have this house completely torn apart. There is not one square inch of that house. My husband did not completely rip out and put new. Um, And he's an amazing craftsman. So he does quality work. And then about five months into my pregnancy, I started one day, I just felt what I thought was dehydrated and I was 23 weeks and three days pregnant and I at that point was cleaning I was helping clean um the venue that we got married at so I was working for her Hmm. it's Mm -hmm. this old historic house in Loveland and so she would have me come help clean up after she had guests it's also a VRBO Mm -hmm. and so I thought oh I'm feeling kind of sick maybe I should call my friend to help me clean because she had helped me clean before um and my pregnancies were never very easy so I was like yeah I'm sick like it's just Mm. part of being pregnant you know right um so I called my girlfriend she came over she said yeah I'll help you came over to the wedding venue we started cleaning and I just started having more and more contractions and um now looking back it seems pretty apparent but then I had no idea I just thought yeah I'm working hard I'm scrubbing bathtubs and I'm carrying a vacuum up and down the stairs and so we worked for about two hours and um during that time I was texting the lady that had I'm close with her she had done our Bradley class we just finished and I said I'm just not feeling great do you think there's anything to this and she said you know I'm not sure but it sounds sort of weird And then I was also talking to my girlfriend that I was cleaning with and she was like, I don't know, it just sounds a little bit more like you should just go to the doctors and get checked out. Mm -hmm. But it was a Sunday and my doctor's office is closed and urgent care is closed. And I'm just like, is it worth going to the emergency room? That seems pretty dramatic. Mm -hmm. You know, I could just wait till Monday morning. And yeah, so this is around noon on Sunday. Then my girlfriend finally convinces me to call Adam and have him come pick me up. Um... So I call him and tell him and we're all standing in the kitchen and they have like a kitchen island. And so I put my hands on the kitchen island and put my head down and start breathing through my contractions. 
Mm. And my girlfriend's like, you need to get to the hospital. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're so silly. Like, it's just going to stop. I'm standing up. Of course I'm having contractions, you know. So anyway, Adam comes and picks me up and we go to the urgent care. I'm sorry, the emergency room. And yeah, just kind of explained it to them nonchalantly. I'm having some tightness. I'm dehydrated. I need just to be seen and checked. So after about 40 minutes of sitting in the waiting room, they a labor and delivery nurse comes and gets me and says, we're going to take you up. You're 23 weeks. It's kind of right on the verge of whether we should admit you into the emergency room side or the labor and delivery, but we'll just take you upstairs and have you checked out up there by our OB. So we go up there and we go into like the tiniest little closet of a room they have and uh, they get me sitting on the table and the OB comes in and he's like, you know, okay, we have to do an internal exam. Just very, this is our process. And Mm -hmm. at that point, I still didn't think anything was going wrong. So I said, no, I don't want to do internal exams. That was part of my birth plan. We're not doing an internal exam, especially this early. This is silly. Give me some fluid and let me go home. So then... We Adam and I talk to one of our friends that's a family practice. She has a family practitioner. And she says kind of the same thing. It sounds weird enough that I think I would like, I would feel more comfortable if you would get an internal exam, even though we talked about you not doing this. Mm-hmm. It seems a little abnormal. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So I get on the table. The doctor starts the exam and there's a nurse standing behind him. And he immediate he puts his tools in and then his face just goes ghost white and the nurse behind him like doesn't move and he looks back at her and he says do you see this and she like didn't move at all and she just says yes and then he immediately like pulls all the tools out as fast as he can and he's like ma'am your water is broken your baby is coming Mm. and I didn't even know I mean I know what that means Mm. but I was like okay, so stop it. Like, you know, like what? I don't understand. I'm halfway through my pregnancy. How can a baby be coming at this point? Mm -hmm. And so then he um, stands up and basically tells us that at this point, there's no, they can try to stop the labor, but at this point, the baby is coming. And so I can choose to try to save the pregnancy Or I can choose to just let the baby come and terminate the pregnancy. That was really challenging to hear Mm. because it obviously wasn't something that we, in our 12-week Bradley class, had ever talked about. We had another kid. I didn't even know babies could really come that Mm -hmm. early. Right. I kind of thought once you hit the 12 weeks that it's just fine. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, they... um, We kind of sat for a second and then Adam was just kind of staring at the doctor, not really like in shock, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just told the doctor, like, I want to try. I want to try. I know that this might not work. The baby might not make it, but I would really like to try um, without even understanding what that meant because Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that this could happen. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. um, Anyway, yeah, uh, all of a sudden, I don't know 
if the nurse had left the room at that point. Uh, they had some sort of special call button. I'm not sure. But at that point, there was probably 15 or 20 people that flooded into that tiny little room. And they had people hooking me up to IVs. Um, they were giving me magnesium to help stop the contractions. They were flipping my table so my head was down and my feet were up because they said they were trying to use gravity to help mm -hmm. keep the baby in. Mm -hmm. um, they were giving me steroid shots that would help the baby's lungs grow faster mm -hmm. and then prepping me for taking me to Denver because they didn't have the support here to be able to take care of the baby. Mm. And so then they said, here are your options. Do you want to go to this hospital or this hospital? And I didn't know about either of those hospitals because they were in Denver. And mm -hmm. so the one I ended up picking was actually attached to Children's Hospital. And for some reason in my head, I was like, that sounds good. Like, right. you know, so <laughs> it's right there. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. That was my that was my deciding. Um, it turned out to be a wonderful hospital. And so, yeah, so they got me prepped. And all this happened with about five hours of me starting to clean the wedding venue and realizing that I was feeling dehydrated is what I thought. Mm hmm. Yeah, then a couple hours later, they got me all prepped and into the helicopter, which was an intense experience. I'd never been in a helicopter before. I bet, yeah. Um, mm. And I had, Adam couldn't come, and that helicopter was tiny. <laughs> I, uh, you know, they pack that thing full of all the medical supplies they need, but they do not have any empty space. Mm -hmm. And I kind of jokingly say now, like if I had wiggled my toes because the way they put the gurney in, it's right next to the pilot. My feet are right next to the pilot. Um, like if I had wiggled my toes and I'd be like touching the pilot, it's mm -hmm. like just so packed. And yeah, yeah, Adam couldn't come. He had to drive. And so, and also our son at that time, he was two and a half. He was with my dad, but my dad was starting a new job the next day. So he couldn't like keep him. Mm. And so we had to find Luckily, we had a lot of friends that were able to jump in and help us. Mm -hmm. And so Adam had to bring Liam somewhere he could stay for the night and then drive down to Denver himself. Mm. So, yeah. Um, wow. Yep. So then I get into the helicopter and I it was just a, I didn't even know. I couldn't process what was going on at that time. I remember at one point, so there was a doctor and a nurse on board and the nurse kept trying to like keep me distracted by like telling me jokes and trying to like talk to me which in retrospect I feel like was a very good thing then mm. I was kind of like sir will you please stop talking to me <laughs> <laughs> um but I remember him joking and being like look out the window we're flying over this city now and like he's like this is the most expensive helicopter ride you'll ever take so <laughs> go ahead and enjoy it and I was like okay like, shut <laughs> your <Right>. mouth <laughs> yeah but in retrospect, mm -hmm. I do appreciate him trying to have me just not focus on what was going on mm -hmm. at that moment because it wasn't good for me to be focusing on that at that specific moment. Yeah. So, yeah, we get to Denver and um, we land and I immediately have a really intense contraction. And then they wheel me in and get me in the room. And I didn't know this, but apparently Adam, we had a couple friends, the friend that introduced us to Adam and then our other really good girlfriend live in Denver and her spouse actually lives there too, but he was out of town. Mm. <laughs> and so our two friends showed up at the hospital and I didn't know that. So I get wheeled into the room and they're just there. And mm. that was like an insane comfort to me 
because Adam wasn't able to be there for a little while. Yeah. That they could be there and, I don't know, just not feel so alone, especially in such a confusing time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we get, we get me in there. We start hooking me up. And just to give you like a picture too of how confused I was, the nurse was putting an IV in me. And I remember asking her, finally, I got the courage to talk. And I said, ma'am, when can I go home? Mercia got like really close to me and said, you're not going home until this baby is born. And I remember just thinking, what? And the baby's not due for four months. Like, what do you mean I'm not going home? You know, I thought, surely they'll just stop this and then I'll go and be on bed rest or, you know, modified bed rest because I have a two and a half year old and this is not the plan. <laughs> right. This does not fit in <laughs> yeah. to my schedule yes. <laughs> or <laughs> yes, right? my we, ideal life. Yes, mm-hmm. we had a plan. And um, so anyway, um, yep, around 9 p.m., about nine hours after um, I felt sick, Adam arrived at the hospital. And at that point, things had slowed down. And so we thought, okay, you know, they told me we're going to get this stopped. You're going to stay here. You're going to stay, you're going to live here for four months. And, you know, that's just it. We can keep the baby inside of you. I thought, okay, you know, have to adjust to that idea. Mm-hmm. And So they can keep a baby inside after your water has broken? They told me they could. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a full break. It was, it was a tear, but it was breaking. Oh, and so okay. I think their thought was that they could keep it like... From you know. totally breaking. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and quite honestly, I think they were just trying to feed me as much hope as they could to like get me to not just mm-hmm. be thinking that the baby was coming. Right. So, yeah. Um, then around 11 p.m., things started to really intensify again, started to have a lot more contractions and getting really, really bad. Um, there's one just because we had our first son Adam kind of knows how I labor. And so it was around 11.30. I ended up throwing up, which is usually when I transition. Mm. And then Adam told the doctor, this is getting serious. Like, she is progressing. And the doctor was like, no, no, no. Like, she's fine. She's under a lot of stress. No wonder she threw up. And he's like, no, this happened with our son. She throws up and she goes from like 5 to 10. <laughs> like, she all of a sudden is ready to push this baby out. Mm-hmm. And so then it was just continuing to labor through and I remember the nurse saying honey it's fine you're going to continue to contract until this baby comes out and then I remember thinking I'm going to contract like this for four months like oh my goodness (laughs) but I just kept on working against my body and telling my body like you cannot let this baby come out really trying to focus all of my energy on the fact that you know this baby is not safe outside my body and it is safe right now she does not well we didn't know if it was a Actually, we just found out two weeks before that it was a girl. Mm. So I would think, you know, she doesn't know anything's going on. Just my body is giving up. I need to keep her inside, which is all they kept telling me. Just keep her inside, keep her inside. And so then, yeah, around 12, it intensified enough that the doctor came in and she came up to me and she held my hand and she said, it's time. Your baby is coming. Just let her out. And... I remember just kind of falling back into the bed at that point and feeling like I had lost, like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, like I couldn't. And now looking back, I'm like, you can't work against your body when your body is giving birth. It's just going to do what it's doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there had been so much of that mental 
like them telling me that I could do something to keep her in, Mm -hmm. which actually has produced a lot of guilt in me that like I did something Mm -hmm. to keep her from or like to make her come out. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so then around just kept going around 1245. I think it was right at 1245. um, She was born. Mm. and she came out and the doctor held her up and um the world stopped and there's just this moment in my mind where I looked at her and she seemingly looked at me at that point her eyes were still fused shut so she couldn't actually see anything Mm -hmm. but yeah just this weird movie moment almost of the world stopped and I just looked at her and then they cut the cord and rushed her away and I don't know what happened for about the next hour after that. Adam said that they rushed her over there. There was a whole team of doctors standing by her. They had to get her breathing. And so they had to get a breathing tube down her. And to give you an example, she was only one pound and seven ounces Mm, and 12 inches long. So they had to get a breathing tube into something tinier than a baby doll Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just Adam tells me that there was just one doctor that their only job was there was one doctor that was um like feeling her heart her pulse and then he was counting with his mouth and then there was one doctor that was standing there counting with his finger the mouth movements of the doctor that was counting the pulse and then there was another doctor relaying to the fourth doctor that was intubating her so that none of them had to look away from what they were doing for even a moment wow and so yeah it was just they are incredible incredible team of people that really know what they're doing so yeah uh I had my best girlfriend there in the delivery room with me because she was there. It was not the plan (laughs) to (laughs) give birth in front of my best friend, but it was fine. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my other friend, the one, the first friend that I made when I moved here to Colorado that introduced me to Adam, Mm -hmm. um, he stepped out of the room once I actually physically started pushing and he was standing right outside the door. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And then also my girlfriend that was in the room, her husband, well, uh, boyfriend at the time, was going away for work and he was driving into Wyoming where there's no cell reception so he just gets this text message like Carissa's going into labor and then he loses cell reception for hours Mm. (laughs) and he was like wait a minute that's not supposed to happen like but he can't get a hold of anyone because he was out of cell reception for Uh, (laughs) all these hours so we still talk about that and he's like it was so terrifying I just had to drive and like wonder what was happening to everyone (laughs) so yeah wow yeah. Wow. I can't so, even imagine. That was it gives me like goosebumps <laughs> when I listen to you tell it. So, I mean, I can only imagine that that was just the beginning, right, of the journey. Right. Mhm. Yeah, so at that point we had a whole new plan. Um actually now I just remembered that was like actual verbiage the doctor said to me. We have a new plan. <laughs> so the baby was here. Um And that was just uh, keep the baby alive. And so they said, you know, your baby's going to the NICU, which, again, at that point, 
I didn't know what the NICU was. I knew it existed. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that's where sick babies could go. I didn't know what that meant. So, yeah, they took her. um, Like I said, it was about an hour before I was able to see her. You know, just had to finish the birthing process and kind of get myself put back together a little bit. Um, Then they wheeled me in to the NICU. And how the NICU is set up is there's these, uh, they call them pods. They're rooms that are just divided, but they're all open to the whole unit. Mm -hmm. So you have some privacy, but you're definitely like in the midst of everyone else. Yeah, so they wheeled me in and this little baby was just in this acrylic box with tons of wires attached to her. And... uh, yeah, just machines, and I got to see her for the first time. So, and that was yeah, twelve forty-five in the morning. So, wow. Yep. Well, when I saw her, it was probably about two in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was the first time that I saw her, mm-hmm. but we couldn't touch her, so she just had to stay in that box. Was uh, temperature controlled because her skin was so sensitive that it wasn't good to like try to put blankets or anything on her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had to be temperature controlled in there and yeah we had a lot of people that were praying for us and a lot of people that were there for us and yeah it was I believe Liam and a couple of our friends were the first ones to come visit but we had tons of people come visit the first couple days and just come see her and come see me um, because at that point I was still admitted to the hospital Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah, that was, um, again, just when you go through such a traumatic event, it is, like, I was seeing so tunnel vision, like, you know, and I remember now I could deal with it because I'm not in <laughs> traumatic event, but something that my friend often brings up that was hard for him was that I told people that they needed to stop crying when they saw her. Because every time someone saw her, the see- seeing a baby that small was so shocking to them, they'd start crying. Mm. And to me, that was like, I couldn't comprehend why they were crying because I was like, no, this is just my baby. Like, be happy that I have a baby here. Mm. <laughs> now I see how much I was just living in this weird, traumatic bubble at that moment. Um, and so then as people started coming and wanted to see her, I would have Adam bring them to see her and then they could cry if they wanted to but I couldn't handle that I couldn't handle people crying um I think because it also like brought up the like it brought to the surface that this is a tragedy Mm. and that there was something wrong and there was so much going on I was learning so much about how to keep her alive what the doctors were doing all this newness that I couldn't also deal with the fact that like I just needed to be in the moment and keeping her alive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so yeah that was also like another hard part that I've had to like tell people I'm sorry for telling Mm -hmm. you not to cry but well but it makes sense too that in that moment you don't have the capacity to take care of other people right and I do usually do that yeah you're you're a caretaker (laughs) yeah and so I could see it being like oh mm -mm, no no I can't do that right now I don't have the capacity to care for you while you're crying right so I can't be around it right and I wonder too if you had said that you were feeling guilt Mm -hmm. which I think is so normal for moms in so many different situations 
that guilt of I did something I didn't I don't know I've heard women say I didn't eat the right thing Mm -hmm. or I whatever we find a way to blame ourselves yeah and probably crying Mm -hmm. is like a stab in that guilt right wound right also yep especially because I felt like I just had so many medical professionals telling me like you can keep her in you know like you have to do something and just trying to like I just couldn't yeah I just couldn't deal with that now then Mm -hmm. and now I've had more of an ability to look back and deal with those things as I'm Mm -hmm. like more removed from the situation so yeah 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 wow all right so well I, I'm just like I want to know the rest of the story <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we let's see where we were at yeah a couple days um go by I think I was admitted in the hospital for about three days and then I was released and that was challenging because before I was on the labor and delivery floor and I could just walk to see her whenever I wanted to mm-hmm. um and then I had to leave and so they don't let you stay in the room there's no room in the pod for you to sleep you're actually not even allowed to sleep on the chair in there mm-hmm. um they need to not have people sleeping in there in mm-hmm. that NICU there was a couple there was two rooms that you could request to sleep in but you couldn't pre-request so you had to like come that day and if two people had already requested to sleep in those rooms you couldn't sleep in there and the other thing was I had a two and a half year old and there was a Ronald McDonald house I could stay at, but again, you had to like call every day in order to get a bed. And at that one, you called every day to get a bed, and once you had a bed, you had it until you chose to give it up or until your baby was released mm. from the hospital. But even calling them every day was too much work for me to do. Like, it was too taxing um, to have them mm. say, no, they didn't have a bed that day. Mm-hmm. And I was only 59 miles away, so I was like, just far enough away from my son to like make it inconvenient to go see her every day but also like if I'm only 55 59 miles away from my son should I not be going home at all you know Mm -hmm. so I decided I would just go home and I would drive every day um so anyway the day came when we had to be discharged and we got in the car my son was at the hospital with us and we put him in the car we started driving away and I didn't realize how ridiculous this was until my husband pointed it out in the car but my son started crying when we put him in his car seat he's two and a half he was just like I I don't know I don't want to leave or I'm tired Mm -hmm. or whatever he was feeling Mm -hmm. so he starts crying we pull out of the hospital parking lot and I start singing to him because that would calm him down (laughs) well I start singing if you're happy and you know it clap your hands and then instantly, as we pull out of the parking lot of the, of the um, hospital, I just start bawling. <laughs> so I'm bawling, singing this If You're Happy and You Know It song to my son mm-hmm. to make him feel better. Mm-hmm. And my husband looks at me and he's like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> So anyway, now um, I think about that a lot because I was like, but that's really where I was. I had this son that I cared about. He was my whole world. And now I have this daughter and she's my whole world. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to balance these two things of keeping him happy Mm -hmm. and not having him be stressed. Why is mama always gone? We were so attached. Mm -hmm. Um, He had weaned like like nine months earlier. It was not that long that I had weaned him from breastfeeding. And so we were so attached at the hip 
mm-hmm. I had stayed home with him. And then all of a sudden, mama's gone for days. And that had never happened. Mm-hmm. And and yet, I have this daughter that I'm driving away from. And still, like, that's still so hard. But practically, I couldn't just stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite honestly, emotionally, I couldn't stay there. It's not... Um, it's an emotionally taxing thing to be in a hospital hearing all of the things. Sometimes her heart rate would drop and she would just flatline. And then the doctors would rush in and like do their job. But I'm sitting there like, she's dead right now. She's not alive. She Mm -hmm. has no heartbeat. And then they would come resuscitate her and be like, it's okay. And do more work calming me down than like their job getting her heart started again, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But like, and, or sometimes other babies would have problems and you'd be hearing that. Mm. And so it was like, you weren't just taking on your baby's stuff. It was like, you were hearing all these things happening around you Mm. Um, and the noises and the smells. And um, I do remember after we did get home, um, people wanted to come with me a lot to like see her. So they would drive down with me. And there was this one time somebody came with me and we were looking at her in the isolate and my friend goes oh this must have been after I had held her which I didn't get to hold her until she was three weeks old Hmm. so I couldn't touch her I could put my hand in but still even putting my hand in would like make her vitals jump all around and Hmm. um so yeah she was at least about three weeks before I could hold her um and it was the day before I believe that I held her that her eyes opened for the first time Mm -hmm. and so anyway I brought my friend and we were talking and she goes oh don't you just want to snuggle her all day long and even now my mama heart is like yes but I remember at that moment being like no it is terrifying to touch this baby Like, and Mm. honestly, like there was this weird physical thing that happened whenever my body touched her, it freaked out. Like, Mm. why are you, this baby should be inside of you. It was like this really strange thing, like overstimulation, which I still have now. Like my body, it's like overstimulated from things Mm -hmm. and it just like, like freaks out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, so Anyway, but that was challenging because, like, you know, my friend's just like, oh, don't you just want to love your baby? And I'm like, I do. I do want to practically feel like I want to love and snuggle her. But physically, that was such a challenging thing. So, yeah, I can imagine. Well, we think, like, this is the way, again, there's another should. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the way you should feel. Right. But you don't. Right. Because it's not a typical situation. Yeah. Well, and some moms don't feel like snuggling their child when they're full term. And that's not something that's talked about. But you know what I mean? But you had the trauma and all of the other things, too. Mm -hmm. So that's... And then I think it's hard for us to accept, like, why don't I feel this Mm -hmm. way? You know, she's saying, I should want to snuggle her. Mm -hmm. Why don't I want to snuggle her? Why am I so freaked out by it? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's like, I'm like, I feel this intense love, but it's not presenting in the way that I feel like is quote unquote normal, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to deal with all my own stuff. Yeah. And that's something as a mom, I've had to like realize like as a mom, my stuff doesn't go away. Mm. I'm still Carissa and I have all my stuff. And now I just have these little humans that I love so intensely. And yet I still have my stuff Mm. to deal with. 
Yeah, that's and so, huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's such an important realization. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so important. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. So, okay, you got to hold her at three weeks. Yeah. And then what? Sure. So then I could hold her about once a day for a couple months. Um, when she hit about two and a half, three months, I could pretty much hold her when I wanted to. Um, they had a pretty strict schedule with her of feeding. They called it cares. They would feed her. They would change her diaper. They would make sure all of her vitals were good. Change her bedding if they needed to do that kind of stuff. So their thought was like, if you want to hold her, you can hold her when we touch her like when we're messing with her, but let's not mess with her. Then have you come in an hour later, mess with her again. And then two hours later, she's doing cares again and we're messing with her again. So I can just fit in this schedule, which I feel like has also been a challenge for me of getting outside of this idea that there's like a structure or like Mm. I should (laughs) do these things at certain times because it's what other people told me. Um, so obviously they had a medical reason, but just your brain plays tricks on you, right? Like other people tell me then later, like, well, you should be doing this with her and you should be doing this. And then I'm like, is that medical advice? Is it good advice? Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. <laughs> and so, yeah. 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 So we just kind of chugged along. There was definitely bumps along the way. She had a brain bleed. There were times where she had um, gotten so far needing support with oxygen that she wasn't breathing at all on her own which means that she was suffocating and so we had to choose to give her some steroids for that there was just there was definitely challenges but overall our stay there was reasonably good considering the fact that they told me when that doctor originally found out that my water had torn that she had a one percent chance of living Mm. and that she would have no quality of life which is what he told me. Mm. And so the fact that we had any good news was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, she stayed at the hospital, continued to get better until around her due date, which was the end of November. So from the beginning of August through until the end of November, we were commuting every day to Mm. see her. Um, Wow. And Yeah. yeah, then she came home which was really exciting, terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. They literally unhooked her from the monitors and just like handed, you know, here's your baby. <laughs> like, like, wait a minute. She's been on, she did come home on oxygen support, but we had been monitoring her heart rate. We'd been monitoring her oxygen levels, mm-hmm. all these things we'd been monitoring. And all of a sudden, here's your baby. So she came home on the due date? Um, it was a couple days after her due date. Yep. Okay. Yes. All right. Yep. And we brought her home and um, pretty much immediately went into weekly therapy, weekly doctor visits, that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. for the first two years of her life, we had at least one therapy, whether it be physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. Um, We didn't start speech therapy until she was about one, but physical occupational therapy and doctor's visit at least once or twice a week so that really consumed us that consumed our life Mm -hmm. and then I do remember right when I was getting discharged from the hospital they said would you like us to like give you information on if you ever want to get pregnant again and I said no thank you that seems reckless Mm -hmm. because why did this baby come early and they said we don't know (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Your, your cervix just gave out. Because there was nothing wrong with the baby. It was just that my body gave up, um, mm. which was another mind trick of, was me. Mm-hmm. No, mm. I don't want any information. We're a family of four. This is what we'll do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we brought her home. That was challenging. We got through until she was about two and a half. And then all mm. of a sudden, I was talking to one of my friends, and I said, I am just nauseous all the time. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my friend said. I just didn't see it. <laughs> um, turns out I was pregnant again. Our birth control had failed, so, which was pretty scary. So, um, yeah, then that was terrifying. We're pregnant with our third baby and have no idea what's going to happen and still trying to do our weekly therapy and stuff with Ava. She progressed, Ava progressed really well, but still definitely has challenges. So when they told us that she wouldn't have a quality of life, that was not what ended up happening. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the post I saw of you that you made. She was dancing. She loves dancing. Yeah. (laughs) She loves it. It's her favorite thing. Mm So, um, yeah, now we have this third baby that, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? There was a surgery that I could do to help stitch my cervix so that it would help support the baby and make sure that the baby wasn't going to just fall out. Mm. Um, but it was really terrifying for that. Um, my third pregnancy ended up going to 42 weeks. And so, (laughs) um, God has a sense of humor, right? (laughs) So we kept joking that my, her name's Brenna. Brenna was like taking up the time Ava left in there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, that was an emotional struggle to try to be, yeah, every day. Is this going to be okay? Mm -hmm. Um, what can I do? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. it turns out I can't do anything. She's fine. She just stayed in there. She's happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was really, really taxing. Mm, I so, bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you for walking <laughs> us through that. I know. I, I I know. I have one friend in particular who both of her boys were born premature. Mm-hmm. And she she does a lot of stuff with parents mm-hmm. in the NICU and uh, talks a lot about how difficult that time is. Yeah. And especially, I think, when you have another child, too. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I, uh, I think that it's also something that people don't talk about very right. often. Right. I hadn't ever heard of really anyone. Actually, there was one lady who had a preemie, and I remember her talking about it at a mom's group that I had created. And I remember she talked about it, and I engaged with her, but I didn't actually engage. Like, I didn't actually know what she was talking about. Like, oh, yeah, my son came six weeks early, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I didn't have any idea what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, the emotional – I mean, there was all these – weird things that came along with the fact that it's scary that your baby's in the hospital but all these strange things happened that you know like I said I was always this I'm very much like a people pleaser I want to comfort everyone and it was this first time in my life where I had to be tunnel vision I ha- I couldn't see anyone else mm-hmm. I just I, I didn't have the capacity mm-hmm. um 
And there was a couple experiences that I had with anxiety, some pretty severe anxiety that I hadn't experienced before. One of them was I was walking into the hospital and a helicopter from the top of the hospital started going off. Mm. And I went into this weird, my ears were ringing and I didn't know who I was and I didn't know where I was. And I ended up getting up to the top floor of the hospital where Ava was. And I remember the next thing I remember is her, her nurse looking at me and me like, are you okay? And that like, I came back too, mm. but I had like it, like the sound of the helicopter just like took me out of reality for a minute. And it mm. was this really weird experience. Mm-hmm. And then I had another experience when she was still in the hospital. It had been a couple months though. And I walked into Walmart and I walked into Walmart and all of a sudden I could hear all of the beeping of all the cash registers and the lights felt so bright to me like they were burning me. Mm. And it was this really weird, overwhelming experience. I had to run out of Walmart. Like mm-hmm. it was just this really strange, yeah, intense thing that I feel like I didn't even tell anyone that that happened because I got in the car and I was so confused and I was like, why did I just act like that? Like what happened, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was just like like a lot of little experiences like that that go along with having a baby or having a traumatic experience Mm -hmm. and um yeah so Mm -hmm. well I'm so glad that you are sharing your story and that you're talking about it openly because I think that it's I don't know it's like something when it comes to our bodies and our children it's, it seems like a topic where women want to protect it very right. closely and and not let anybody know mm-hmm. how they feel about it or what they're going through or their experience at Walmart or you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's powerful and it's huge that, that you are getting this, getting it out there because I think, like you said, this is something that you don't get unless you've been in it, I think. Right. right. Um, I don't get what it's like to have a baby in the NICU because mm-hmm. I haven't been there. Right. And so the more you can reach women who need that same understanding, I think it's it's just, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been this, um, it's opened up a lot. Like now I know a lot of women that have had babies that are early and I think I also am met with people who haven't had that happen and they're like, oh, I could never, I could have never done that for four months. And I'm kind of always think like, well, it's not like you have a choice. Like you just, whatever is presented to you, you need to work and get through it. Hmm. And um, the other thing is, is um, sometimes people will be telling their story to us to me and Adam and somehow it'll come up that we have a 23 week baby and then they all of a sudden want to backpedal like their story doesn't matter because I have a worse story Mm. and Adam and I feel so strongly because Liam actually um he was when he was born he had it was pretty hard birth and anyway he had a lot of jaundice and his jaundice levels got very high to the point that they were about to transfer us to children's hospital um and so for seven days we were in the hospital but it was just he was roomed with us and we had like the billy lights and everything mm-hmm. and I tell people like there are parts of Liam's birth story that still hurt more than Ava's birth story mm. and I know that that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense as far as like 
swapping stories kind of mm-hmm. thing. It sounds like, oh, Ava's is so traumatic. But I'm like, when we went through that with Liam, we had no idea that babies could even be this sick. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, our seven days with Liam was really traumatic. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another thing of like, you know, don't backpedal your story because then right. you're like, someone else has a worse story than me, so yeah. I shouldn't feel. No, like we all have trauma. We all have things that are hard. Yeah. And um, I think that's a big thing because I think about that a lot with, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, just I think Ava's story is just fairly extreme. And so it does mm-hmm. seem like shocking, but mm-hmm. it doesn't make anyone else's story or anyone else's hurt less yeah. than Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's the whole comparative suffering thing. Right. Yeah. We think if our suffering is less than somebody else's, we do the comparison and then think we don't have the right to feel right the way we do about our own experience. And that's just completely... It's a flat out lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, can, we have... It's, it's real to us. Yes. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's important to recognize. Totally. Yeah. We can't discount our experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, because even with Brenna's birth, like when I look back on the pregnancy, it was great in the sense that nothing went wrong, but I was in such turmoil thinking that Mm. what could happen. Mm -hmm. And then when she was born, right when she was born, I got, I had another like weird panic where I couldn't stop sobbing and I couldn't keep ask I kept asking the doctors over and over again for about the first five minutes of her life to check and make sure she was alive because I couldn't believe that she would be alive that it like mm. that there had to be something wrong because mm-hmm. for my last two pregnancies there was something wrong in my brain it took it so long to realize like she's fine she doesn't need any oxygen she doesn't need any support she is just okay mm. and so there's ways that that was really traumatic even though there was nothing actually going wrong. Yeah. It was just my my own experiences coming up over and over again. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Hmm. All such different, well, different children, different experiences, right. different situations, and mm-hmm. different kinds of hard in right. every situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm, I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I think personally... I think pain is pain. Right. And pain is pain. Mm-hmm. And it sucks and it's hard. Right. And it hurts. And whether whatever that pain is surrounding, that it's it's kind of irrelevant. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it stops us from sharing our story. Yeah. Because we're like, well, someone else has it worse. Totally. Or if I share my story, then I'm going to have all this pity from people who are like, oh, you've had it really bad. And mm-hmm. I'm like, can't it be okay that we just share you know, and we share where we're at and that we can come alongside people and Mm -hmm. be, and really grieve with them without making them feel any sort of way, Mm -hmm. you know, like you should feel this way or this, but no, just be present in the grief. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we can move on, Mm -hmm. um, at whatever capacity that looks like, Mm -hmm. not that someone else gets to dictate it, but I think that's when true healing comes, when you Mm -hmm. are able to be present with yourself and when people are able to be present with you and just kind of sit with you mm. to rejoice with you and to grieve with you and yeah. not try to change that. Right. So. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Again, amen, sister. 
<laughs> I agree. Yeah. We forsake ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. In the attempt to support or mm-hmm. please or not make other people feel bad. And there is no healing in that. You cannot heal in right. that space. It's it's completely impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I love how you said sit with yourself and sit with other people mm-hmm. because I think they're both so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I feel like we need another hour, but <laughs> we're going <laughs> to wrap up. So I'd love to ask you my questions. Yeah. And the first one is, is what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? Sure. So I think the most vital thing over the last four years was that Ava's birth kick-started for the very first time in my life that I needed to have boundaries and I needed to practice self-care. Mm. Um, it was the first time in my life that I was truly forced to look at the situation without any other situations influencing it. And there was a lot of hurt and pain that came out of that situ- out of Ava's birth and um, even hard things with a marriage. And when two people in a marriage are dealing with a trauma and they deal with it differently, mm-hmm. and then there's pain in that. Um, mm-hmm. But with that, I had to really figure out what boundaries meant. And it took a lot of years. It wasn't even until last year, um, so that would have been three years post Ava <laughs> being mm. born, that I realized I need to go talk to a therapist mm. and um, actually get some like real understanding of the situation. And the first thing he said was, I need you to get this book on boundaries. <laughs> and mm. so mm-hmm. I got this book and I started reading it and I thought, oh, it was always that boundaries were a bad thing mm-hmm. you put your fence up and you're keeping people out and if all of a sudden I realized that it is this inclusive thing that you are able to love so much deeper when you can put these things that actually mean a lot to you mm-hmm. and it's so much freedom yeah mm. yeah I That's think good. yeah so I think that was really the biggest thing mm-hmm. yeah I think that started with not listening to other people saying things like oh you should do this and you should do this and I felt kind of like blown around like I was just this thing that was getting like tossed Mm -hmm. like a rag doll or blown about in the wind Mm -hmm. um but for the first time kick-starting this idea that I can be strong and that I can have my own opinions and that other people can have their own opinions and it's okay I don't have to cater to their opinions only Mm -hmm. and that is what true relationship is yeah it's good yeah oh I like let it soak in (laughs) (laughs) just give it a moment (laughs) yeah like sometimes I have to absorb (laughs) because yeah it is it it's just so so good okay so what do you want to make sure that people know yeah I think a huge uh, part of this was that I felt I feel very strongly now that you can stand firm in your beliefs and I guess the first step of that is that you need to know what your beliefs are and I guess that's the Mm self-care is that you need to figure out what you care about and that it doesn't matter not in a mean way because I always thought it doesn't matter that's mean no you care about things 
whether you allow yourself to believe you do or not. Mm. And um, you can, you can care about those things Mm. and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, It's okay to stand firm. And then that feels like one half of this ball, right? Like you need to care about what you care about and you need to know what you care about so that you can form a goal and a plan to care about those things. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, well, that doesn't seem fully formed. What is the other part of it? I think the other part comes into that because, you know, you always meet people that have very strong opinions and their opinions are the best Mm -hmm. and that hurts. Mm -hmm. There's something just wrong. It's not fully formed yet. But then you come around this other piece of this grace and understanding that you can come alongside someone and still have a love and an understanding and a full understanding of the world, you know, like this, this ball Mm -hmm. and you can love them and still disagree. You can love them and still have different opinions and their opinion can be right and your opinion can be right and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And that the way that we experience the world can be different And so I think that's like the biggest thing is that you need to know where you stand and do the work to figure out where you stand. And Mm -hmm. that will, that will, you know, move around and change throughout your life, Mm -hmm. but just know where you stand and then, um, bring alongside that. That's not like the end all be all, you know, I know where I stand, period. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's it. It's like, no, other people have differences and let's be in community with them. Let's talk to them. Let's hear different stories because maybe your story is going to change because, you know, like that woman, I heard her story about having a preemie and it didn't hit me. Right. And that's okay. I don't think she's holding on to anything like I didn't care for her because I wasn't Mm -hmm. rude. But now as I come back around, when I meet women like that, there is such an empathy and an ability to be with them Mm -hmm. that I didn't have before yeah so yeah Mm -hmm. I think just stand firm and be confident in what you believe and yet have grace and understanding for Mm -hmm. everyone else too Mm. the perfect combination yes (laughs) (laughs) yes although perfect is a loaded word so maybe I shouldn't (laughs) use that but yes the the ideal balance the ideal yeah for sure so Gosh, like the We Spot blog is such a great place for you. Interesting. <laughs> I know. Imagine that. <laughs> we, we are very aligned. And I noticed that we have almost the exact same wedding ring. We do. Look and at us. I know. I'm <laughs> like, oh gosh, we are like made for each other. Uh, <laughs> Kindred spirits. Yes. It's so wonderful to find them. <laughs> it's so true. All right. Well, awesome. This has been absolutely amazing. So I want to make sure that people know where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So um, I am pretty active on Instagram under creating Coglins, And Coglin is C-O-G-H-L-A-N. <laughs> So I will also put the um, the links mm-hmm. so people can just click right through to it also. Perfect. So, yeah. But yeah, Instagram and then um, also on my podcast, which is available on iTunes and Spotify and just other podcast hosts. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just under Creating Coglins. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. And you're on Facebook too. Um, personally, yes, as Carissa Coglin. Okay. Yes. All right. Yep. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Well, I know everybody will want to seek you out, connect with you. I would more. love that. Yeah. Good. Yes. Well, I I definitely think that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for being here with us today and sharing your heart and your your story and your wisdom also. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having a spot for people to do that. It's really fun. All right, my friends, what an awesome interview. We absolutely believe in the power of our stories. Speaking our truth is vital for our own growth, and it also helps others grow by knowing they're not alone. Thank you so much, Carissa, for speaking your truth and for showing up with us in this space. This episode of the We Podcast is brought to you by the We Spot. The We Spot is a place to learn, grow, and connect with like-minded women. It's your spot for all your growth and community needs. Coming very soon is the We Spot blog as well. So head on over to our Facebook page and get plugged in. There are giveaways and big announcements going on in that space that we know you'll want to be a part of. We also ask that if you love the We Podcast, that you write us a review. If you take a screenshot of the review and share it on your social media, tag Sarah Moneras and The Wee Spot, and we will put you into a drawing to win some awesome swag. We may even share your review and give you a shout out on our next episode. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every week. Thank you so much, and we cannot wait to read your review. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth. Grow constantly. Rise above and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.